Welcome to All Things Apostolic. We're glad to have you with us today. We're also glad to have two guests with us, Pastor Miles Young, pastor of the Rock Church in Sacramento, Elk Grove, California, and also Dr. Johnny King from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, pastor there for a long time, now bishop of a church there, also chairman of Hope Corps and many other duties. So we're glad to have you, Pastor, and we're glad to have you, Dr. King, and um, we're going to uh, talk about some things today that I think are going to be of interest. One of the things that uh, I have on my mind is the continuation of the Asbury University uh, revival that uh, began a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so I ask myself the question, where is it going to go and what is going to happen next? We want to spend a few minutes here just talking about that and any other relevant facts about this or observations uh, that we have concerning that. Ironically, uh, and I find this very interesting, of course, we have mentioned before, and many of you may know, that Francis Asbury was the second bishop of the Methodist Church in America. Uh, he rode his horse, this is all documented, uh, an average of 6,000 miles a year and preached virtually every day. Now, he wasn't the only one. Uh, John Wesley did this. This was, this was the days of what they called circuit riders. And uh, there wasn't enough preachers and there was hungry people everywhere. And so uh, they did this. Well, here's the, here's the irony of this. There was a, um, uh, a sidekick to uh, Francis Asbury and a fellow uh, preacher. And uh, I'm going to ask Dr. King to just uh, talk to you a little bit about what was this preacher's name and some interesting things about this preacher that is very relevant to this uh, podcast today. Dr. King? Well, thank you, and it's good to be with you. Uh, his name was Dr. John King. He immigrated from England in 1769, uh, so he actually arrived in America before Francis Asbury. Asbury got here in 1772. John King was, um, was uh, converted in England, uh, possibly by John Wesley. So wait, now this is the same name as the man talking here. Very interesting. All right. Well, tell us about this. He's my fourth great-grandfather. Okay. So my great-great-great-great-grandfather. And when he arrived, uh, Joseph Pilmore was actually the man that was more or less in charge of the Methodist Church, which was not really organized. They hadn't even had an organizing conference yet at that time. And uh, Pilmore was in Philadelphia, and John King met him and wanted license to preach. But Pilmore didn't know him, and so he, he was reluctant and did not grant him license to preach. And the next thing he heard was that uh, John King had drawn a large crowd, and he was preaching uh, in the pauper's field. And, uh, and so eventually, John King became the first Methodist preacher, the man that preached the Methodist message in Baltimore. 
And there's a story behind that about him being thrown from the table by an unruly mob and a British officer uh, coming to his defense. But um, he was there when Francis Asbury arrived and traveled with Asbury. You can read about him many times in Asbury's journals, traveled with him throughout Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and uh, Virginia, which is where John King finally found a wife in Virginia, and then he settled down in, in North Carolina. But but he was, um, he was preaching with him, um, traveling with him. He entertained Asbury in his home. And so they, they had a, a quite close connection there in the very early days of Methodism in America, before America was the United States. Well, Francis Asbury also was close, of course, to John Wesley, which means... Uh, um, there may not be a historical record of it, but it's very, very likely that your great, 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 great grandfather also was acquainted with and probably spent time with John Wesley. Well, there is a historical record. Oh, there is. All right. <laughs> yeah. When I when I found this, my wife said that explains a lot. Uh -oh. I was thinking the kings just keep getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so John Wesley in Wesley's letters, there's a letter dated July 28, 1775. And it's written to John King. He says, My dear brother, always take advice or reproof as a favor. It is the surest mark of love. I advised you once and you took it as an affront. <laughs> Nevertheless, I will do it once more. <laughs> Scream no more at the peril of your soul. God warns you by me, whom he has set over you. Speak as earnestly as you can, but do not scream. Speak with all your heart, but with a moderate voice. It was said of our Lord, he shall not cry. The word properly means he shall not scream. Herein be a follower of me as I am of Christ. I often speak loud, often vehemently, but I never scream. I never strain myself. I dare not. I know it would be a sin against God and my own soul. Perhaps one reason why that good man Thomas Walsh, yea, and John Manners too, were in such grievous darkness before they died was because they shortened their own lives. I'm not, and I'm not sure about the history behind yeah, that. Right, right. Oh, John, pray for an advisable and teachable temper. By nature, you are very far from it. You are stubborn and headstrong. Your last letter was written in a very wrong spirit. If you cannot take advice from others, surely you can take it from your affectionate brother, John Wesley. <laughs> so I'm remembering uh, Brother Terry correcting another John King. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We keep getting in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, so your grandpa was a screamer, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> evidently, which, 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 which Wesley was not. Very much not. And yeah. I think this really signifies a problem, if you want to talk about the failure of Methodism. Mm -hmm. um, John Wesley was a controller. He controlled his own self, his own emotions. He controlled those that were under him. He controlled the movement. The reason it's called Methodism is because John Wesley was given to methods. He loved rules. 
He wrote rules down. He had rules for all of the churches that he had started and all of the people that, that followed him. There were specific itemized mm -hmm. rules. Everything was according to a method. If it did not fit that method, he rejected it. I think that God tried to give him the Holy Ghost. And, and in his letters, he talks about a time when, I believe this happened in um, about 1545, I, I mean uh, 1745, when, when he and um, his brother uh, Charles were still at Oxford before this incident, they were walking along, and they, he said on Sunday afternoons they used to walk and talk and sing hymns. Well, Charles started laughing uncontrollably. John Wesley said, what's wrong with you? You know, what, what's your problem? And, he, and Charles couldn't stop laughing. Now, notice, they were walking and talking about the Bible. They were singing hymns. So there was an attitude of worship. Mm -hmm. West, Charles Wesley started laughing. John Wesley got angry. He got That's what he said. He said he got angry at him. Then John Wesley started laughing. And both of them laughed uncontrollably for a matter of time. But when it was over, John Wesley didn't like that because he lost control. He did not like losing control. And so when this type of event happened later on in some of his meetings in, in uh, 1744, 1745, he told the people this was the devil. This was of Satan. Now he's having meetings, people are praying, and they start laughing. And I know laughter is not the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Some people think it is, including one of the instructors at, at the University of Birmingham who, who, was, who was quite popular but laughter is not the evidence of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. However, there is the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy is one of the products of receiving the Spirit. That's good. And I can remember when my father, who was an alcoholic until I was 12 years old, came into the church in a verbal bean revival. And I remember one specific prayer meeting that in an upstairs Sunday school room of the church in Bakersfield, where my father started laughing. He was, this was totally out of character with him. He started laughing uncontrollably. And I can remember him after we got home and him sitting in his chair in the living room, still laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. That was not the devil. Yeah. That right. was not Satan. Right. Making him happy. That was part of the Spirit of God. It was not the initial sign, right. but it was part of it. Personally, I think God was trying to lead John Wesley, who I think was sincere, and Charles, and many of his followers, into the fullness of receiving the Spirit of God. And who knows what would have happened had they recognized, you know, this is not of Satan. Right. If you ask your father for, for you know, uh, a, a, an egg, is he going to give you a serpent? Yeah. This is of God. We need to learn to entertain the Spirit of God. Who knows how many of them would have received the gift of the Holy Ghost? But they didn't. 
because Wesley rejected it. And it wasn't ironically until much later that the holiness movement, which sprang from Methodism, Mm -hmm. started experiencing the gift of the Holy Ghost first at Topeka, Kansas, under a holiness preacher, and then at Azusa. This, This revival happened among holiness people, and the holiness movement was begun with with Methodism, with with John Wesley. But they tried to control it and couldn't do it. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I find it interesting that now that the school at Asbury, from what I understand, has closed the revival. I I don't know how you close revival. I think revival just, it's like whack-a-mole. You close it down here, it's going to pop up somewhere else. But I wonder, I don't want to speak for Asbury, but I wonder how much of the shutting down of this whatever movement that was at Asbury was related to what Dr. King just said that it was about control. Was it was it getting out of the bounds of, of whatever Asbury has established as itself? And and we were talking earlier, you said something Dr. Wilson, you said, uh, you know, isn't it interesting that people are coming to a university to expand their knowledge of the things of God. And now when this happens, why wouldn't we just let it go? But, yeah, right. <laughs> so we're going to go back to class to learn to how to have a move of God and reach the world. And you've got one going on that's got thousands of people coming from all over the nation. Yeah. So uh, uh, I'm sure that if the administrators were here, they could give some logical reasons for why they did that. But I would just say, when you've been praying and you have been studying, uh for decades to have a move of God and you finally have one, I would just say that you ought to just rejoice in it and stay in it as long as it'll go. And it's reaching the world uh, by people coming there and other colleges getting into it and so forth. So anyway, be that as it may, um, this has made an impact. This is not the first time I think you, Dr. King, uh, mentioned this, that this has happened at Asbury University not only once before, but several times before. Probably half a dozen times. The first recorded time that I could find was in 1908. And then periodically, you know, through the years, it's happened again and again. And in, in, in a couple of other cases, at least, it received national press, 1950. And in the 1970s, mm-hmm. it, it was big enough that the news media uh, talked about it. When it was the first one? 1908. Think of that. So in 1908, there was an outbreak in there. In 1906, by the way, I'm interested in the fact that they compare this to other revival outbreaks in America, but I haven't heard anybody compare it to Azusa Street in 1906, which was... Uh, uh, probably the greatest outbreaking definitely uh, uh, in the last 150 years or so. And was still going strong in 1908. Very much so. So um, there is, let's just, let's, just, let's just address the elephant in the room. When the spirit starts moving, it gets beyond the logical framework in which, in which much of evangelicalism and all of us have to operate because it's part of living on earth to be rational. You wouldn't even know 
to wear shoes if you didn't have a mine. But, and so we all, we all know that. But we also know that when the spirits start moving, it gets uncomfortable for people that only are into the rational side of Christianity. Um, so what if they would have just let that go? Now, personally, I know that there were people at Asbury who were having the Acts chapter 2 experience, which is the, uh, I mean, every church denomination in America, I think without fail, uh, is restorationist, attempting to go back to the book of Acts to restore what was originally in the Bible, which the presupposition is, is that the Bible church is the model, the pattern, the pristine example of what the church should look like and be like throughout the ages. So everybody doctrinally tries to go back. We compare it to the Bible. That's the standard. That's the benchmark. That's, that's so, uh, but when you go all the way back to the Bible and you get back to Acts chapter two, which is where the church started, and uh, there may be a few people disagree, but not very many people understand that is where the, 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 the early church started, the Christian church started. Well, when you look at it, uh, those people on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 1 through 4 were in one place in one accord, and they were sitting there, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and tongues like as a fire set upon each of them, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And that day, 3,000 more people received this experience. Now, that's the original pattern. So why would we back up when we get to the original pattern? And here would be a good question. I'm certainly not accusing because I admire the fact that Asbury University entertained this to the, to the point that they, that they have entertained it. But um, why wouldn't we pursue that? Why wouldn't we pursue that? And uh, do you think out of this, there is, I know there were people there that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, and were baptized in Jesus' name, which is also another Acts chapter 2 thing. So um, where do you think, Pastor, where do you think this revival is going to go? I mean, maybe we don't know, but what's your thoughts on it? Well, I think... I think there's a lot of talk in the denominal world. Uh, people love to teach on the idea of the provenient grace of God, that God's been working before you ever got there. We look at the Asbury revival. Obviously, you made connections to uh, Dr. King or John King and John Wesley, <clears throat> the itinerant circuit riding preachers. How much was seed being sowed for what God was going to do later? You know, you said 1908 was the Asbury <clears throat> revival. Prior to that, not far from there, was another great revival, the Cane Ridge revival, the same part of the country. That was uh, that was all uh, an explosion, a surprise. Uh, Daniel Boone had even written to the president. This Wild West community of Kentucky needed churches because there was so much debauchery. I mean, this is this is history. This is all recorded history. And people began to pray and meet at Cane Ridge. It blew up. And 
it, it, it broke out of the boxes and there was it was looked at by traditional religion as outside of the box, uh, broke with the norm and tried to be quashed. Uh, but that broke out and you trace that into Azusa. Some of the people that were affected Azusa broke out in Scotland, broke out in, in throughout Europe. God was working in all of these revivals, fires. And we see what broke out in the Royal Seiko and then spread to Elton, Louisiana, the Jesus thing movement even prior to Elton in uh, what many of our brothers and sisters in the Apostolic Assembly trace to uh, the gospel being carried into Mexico even before it went to uh, Elton, Louisiana. My reason for bringing up those historical things is I don't think we have a clue what comes out of things like that. I think it's bigger than we can imagine. Is uh, I, I'm already hearing stories, and, and I think you're going to do an interview with Brother Todd Nichols about something that's already happened out of the Asbury Revival that is mind-boggling. I think we've got to take the limits off of God. Mm -hmm. And you look at the Book of Acts Revival, they started going to synagogues. They started going, you know, Apollos was already used, anointed in the word, evidently an eloquent and powerful speaker. And Priscilla and Aquila go to explain the way more perfectly. And then he becomes a tool in the hand of God, a weapon of war. Mm -hmm. I'm just excited about, you know, maybe it's because it's at no limits time. I, I think we need to take the limits off of our God because there's no telling who God is working in it may not be today, and it may not be six months from now, but Cane Ridge was connected to Azusa. Azusa was connected to Elton. Elton, it, who knows where it goes? You know, C.P. Kilgore and all those people came out of that. They get in cars, and they, they start hitting the road and, and spreading. We have no idea where this goes. Your book about the migration of faith uh, out of the Philippines, I mean, how many thousands upon thousands of people in your book, you documented that left Trinitarianism that spawned out of the Azusa revival and others that, who knows where this goes? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Well, I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, I would encourage you, if you are uh, with us today in this little discussion, that if you've heard about the Holy Ghost uh, in a Pentecostal way and you have been warned against it. Uh, you're looking at three people that are recipients of it. Um, I think we look rational. We may not. But I will tell you that the most profound experience in my life is the reception of the, the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, you believe that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Well, that's like leapfrogging some important statements in between. We believe you have to be born again to be saved and you have to be born again of the Spirit. A famous teacher said that. You ought to believe him. His name is Jesus. He said you must be born of the Spirit. So where is a biblical precedent of being born with the Spirit? This is what I often don't understand is, is people, they, they say, well, I'm, I'm born of the Spirit. Well, do, where's the biblical precedent for the way you were born of the Spirit? Well, we know what it is in the Bible. 
So, I mean, if people want to try to choose a better way and make their own path, I mean, this is America. That's one of the great things about America. You can do what you want to do. But when you go back to that book, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's not like taking some medicine or poisoning yourself. It's a gift. So all, I don't get it when all these people talk about, well, you know, you don't have to have the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. And God gives only good gifts, James tells us. Good and perfect gifts is what comes from above. So the gift of the Holy Ghost, um, even speaking in tongues, is a gift. So quit talking about God's gifts in a negative way and just receive the Holy Ghost. The, the, the outflow, the result of receiving the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is that you will speak in tongues. That's the biblical precedent. Now, if you have a better way, you know, you follow it. But we don't have a better way. This is the way. And so we're thankful. And so anyway, this week, starting uh, Wednesday night, Wednesday night is Gary Don Robinson preaching. And um, Thursday morning is Wade Bass preaching and some other fellow. And then Thursday night is Pastor Young preaching. And then Friday day is uh, a great time with uh, who's preaching Jacob, Friday day? Jacob Phillips and Ryan Crosley. Jacob Phillips and Ryan Crosley. It's going to be incredible. One of them's from Mississippi. The other one's from Florida. Um, and then uh, and then Friday night Luke is Luke St. Clair from Anderson, Indiana. So, look, if you can't be there, I mean, you may be in Timbuktu listening to this, but but if you can't be there, tune in and be with us. Go to therockchurch.org. It'll be live streamed. And um, it's going to be a great time. Pastor, what else am I missing about No Limits? It's going to be a great time. Share the links with people. Even after, it's going to be archived. There's going to be revelatory words given by men of God this week that are going to help us in the future. So uh, it's going to be a great time. Be in prayer with us. Join with us. But uh, help get the word out there. God bless you. Thank you for being with us on All Things Apostolic.